This is the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. This episode, we welcome Matt Kingsley as the guest of the roundtable. Coach Kingsley is the associate head coach at Yale University. Coach Kingsley, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. I, I really appreciate you uh, thinking of me. And uh, like I said, always fun to talk some hoops. So let me let introduce who's sitting with you at the round table. You have uh, Coach Mark Skelton. He's the head coach of Fannie Lou Hamer Freedom High School in the Bronx and author of the book Pounding the Rock, Basketball Dreams in Real Life in a Bronx High School. And you have Elle Green. She's the head boys coach at Brooklyn Community Arts and Media in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, so like I said, we're all going to go around and, and ask you some hoops questions, all right? Sounds good. So I'm going to get started. And first, I, I do want to know, because being at Yale, you didn't have a season this year. What, yeah. was, uh, what was that like for the, the Yale program? And uh, like, how did you use this time to keep the athletes uh, and the program moving in a positive direction? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a challenge. Um, I think we did it a little bit differently than most of the teams in our league. Um, we basically talked to all of our players individually, uh, and coach Jones did a great job. Um, you know, he's been there for 21 years and, and I've been with him for 16, uh, but, you know, f formed a lot of relationships with alumni. And so, um, we talked to our guys about their options and most of them, uh, you know, with some convincing from us, uh, as well, uh, took the year off. And so we got them jobs with alums. Uh, you know, doing investment banking, corporate real estate, uh, working in NBA front offices uh, as interns, just like a, a variety of different jobs. Um, and because I, I don't know if uh, the, the listeners are aware, but at Yale, you, we have an eight semester rule, which means if they came to school, even though the NCAA gave everybody the year, so this is like a, a year that they don't use e any eligibility uh, at Yale. If they came to school, they would lose, they would lose those semesters. Uh, and so they'd have to use that year after they graduate somewhere else. So we wanted to preserve their time at Yale. And, you know, thankfully most of the players thought enough of their experience in our program and uh, just the culture that we have that they, they wanted to use, you know, their eligibility at Yale. So, uh, we've got most of our guys coming back um, and, and they're using this time to, you know, get some work experience, uh, network, make some money. Um, and honestly, uh, their access to gyms, you know, at home, because their internships are, are virtual uh, for the most part. And so their access to gyms at home just through like their, their relationships with people in their community uh, is better than what they would have at Yale. Uh, you know, especially first semester. Now they've loosened it up for second semester and we're actually in the gym with uh, the three guys that we currently have on campus right now, just about every day for, you know, at least an hour, uh, sometimes two hours. But um, first semester, it was really, really restricted. And um, so, uh, you know, we Zoom with them uh, twice, uh, once every two weeks. We have a team Zoom. You know, we've had special guests, including uh, Brad Stevens, Steve Clifford, uh, Isaiah Thomas, you know, formerly of the Celtics, um, you know, as, as well as uh, several alumni. 
Um, and, you know, we've done some, some team building things on Zoom and stuff like that. Uh, and, and we also talk to our players. We divide them up, you know, on a weekly basis. So we're in touch with them basically every week. Um, you know, they get film, film projects to review. Uh, and, you know, we just check it up on them, see how they're doing, you know, how often they're getting into the gym and stuff like that. But, you know, as far as like the work that they're putting in, really the onus is on them. You know, luckily we have great kids and, and we trust that they're putting the work in. Can I follow that up with um... – are, since you didn't have the players on campus, um, the majority of them, were there any big program overhauls that you as the coaching staff had sat down and thought about, we need to revise or we need to rethink, and this is giving you a chance to do that? Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of basketball discussions, but no, no overhauls really, um, just like little tweaks. I mean, you know, we won 22 games in 2019, 23 games in 2020, and we were unanimously picked to win the league this year. So, um, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, but, you know, we want to continue to try to get better. And, you know, what I think is really important is to, you know, to keep the challenging your kids. And so we do want to change things and evolve so that they're uh, you know, continuing to be engaged and challenged. And so, you know, we do that on a continuing basis. And, um, you know, that's obviously part of it, but no big changes now. Okay. Let me uh, pass the ball over to Mark Skelton. Oh, hey, coach. Um, so I, I guess uh, one of the fun parts is, uh, actually, I just went up to New Haven and stopped by uh, – Donut crazy and, and gray matter. So I got a book and a donut. Right. So, um, nice. <laughs> so I guess like historically, um, you, the Ivy league has kind of used, um, what I think some of our listeners would love to know about is, uh, how do you, you, how do you view our Ivy league preparatory league? You know, so we have, you know, uh, you know, dozens of private schools in New York city. Um, and you know, you guys have, you know, and I guess you guys, I, the Ivy league have used, um, them as, you know, I think back to like in the late nineties, there was, uh, Ian McGinnis who Dartmouth and, um, he, he played collegiate and then, um, uh, Armani Cotton, uh, you know, he went to Yale. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Cormac Ryan's big brother, Thomas Ryan, uh, you know, also played, you know, in, in the, our, or privately in the city. Um, so what, what's, what's your view of, of New York City's private preparatory league, the independent league as it's officially known? Yeah, uh, well, well, let me first just add Will, Will, the, Will the Thrill Bartlett from Cody. Oh, that's right, sorry. <laughs> that's one of my all-time favorites. I love uh, it. But, no, uh, you know, uh, they're obviously, you know, prepared academically. Uh, so it's a league that we look at. Um, and, you know, I, I think sometimes they need a prep year, as in, you know, Armani Cotton went to Northfield Mount Hermon and, uh, you know, got to play a full year against, you know, great competition. Um, you know, so I, I think the level of play is, is uh, you know, it's not the highest. You know, and we're, you know, we're, we're recruiting from the prep schools where it's like these kids are 19, 20 years old, you know, you know, they've done an extra year. Um, and so, uh, 
sometimes they need an extra year. Uh, but you know, we're definitely, we're definitely, we're definitely going to look at those kids. Um, you know, I've been out to mm -hmm. poly prep several times. Um, and so, so, some of the other schools in, in, in the league, uh, you know, I, I think the other thing is that our, our camp tends to attract those kids as well. Uh, so we get an opportunity to view those kids at our elite camp. Um, mm -hmm. I know we have, we have a, a good chunk of the better players from, you know, some of the schools in the, I, in the Ivy prep league come to camp. And so we get that opportunity, which is, uh, you know, it helps us to have everybody in one side playing against each other. Um, you know, we view kids in every setting. And so I think right. that if they're good enough, they're good enough, you know? And so we're, we're, we're going to look at them and it, it doesn't, it, it's not necessary that they need to play somewhere else. We've taken guys from weak high school leagues because they were, you know, we thought they were big time players. And I think if I prep league had players that we thought, you know, were big time players and, you know, we, we would certainly, uh, be interested in those guys. Um, it's just that, you know, when, when you're in the Ivy league, uh, we, we recruit nationally. And so there's nowhere in, in the, in the country that we can't go and attract student athletes. And so this is what I try to tell like people from other regions. It's like, you know, if we're recruiting Chicago and we don't find what we want, we're not going to just take the next best kid. We're just going to go to another area. We're going to look at LA. We're going to look at Texas. We're going to look at Florida. We're going to look at Charlotte. And so, you know, if we don't find what we want or the level of player that we want, then we'll just go to another area of the United States. Um, oh, you know, great. We have certain hotbeds that we recruit at certain mm -hmm. cities, certain areas, and, and New York is one of them. Uh, but if we don't find what we want, um, you know, we'll just go to another city. We, we, we don't typically settle. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, your record obviously proves that. But I think the one of the things that the, the you know when I talk to the preparatory coaches, they are saying exactly what you said. Like the the they feel like kids are leaving at a faster rate to, um, you know, be at Taft or Salisbury or um, you know Northfield Mount Hermon, <clears throat> um, maybe even uh, even if they can't play at the next level. And because those schools, the preparatory boarding schools have created not just, a, you know, for our listeners, like they have a varsity team, a JV team, they have a third team. Some of those schools, you know, who cost $64,000 a year have a fourth team. Um, and so now there's a, so which is, you know, which is, you know, it says something about, you know, um, the people's desire to continue playing basketball. Yeah. Um... And it's just the reality, not, not only for, you know, the, the schools that you're talking about, but for, for every parochial and public school league, um, the draw to those places just for the level of play. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of the kids that are going are repeating a year. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, to get that extra year and uh, let your body develop. Uh, most of the time it's not for ac academic reasons. And certainly if they're coming from the Ivy prep league, it's probably not for academic reasons. It's to, it's to develop mature and maybe prove you can play against the better competition at a higher level. Um, it's just, that's just the reality of recruiting these days. And uh, I think it's, it can be a tough situation for, you know, high school coaches that are trying to, you know, run a stable program. Um, if they get a good player, yeah. there's, you know, there's people out there that are going to try to poach that, that person, that player. Yeah. 
one of, one of my one of my you know friends or coaches in the league said he asked me have, have you ever seen Hotchkiss Hotchkiss is gorgeous <laughs> there and so um, yeah it, it's a great selling point yeah you pull, you pull into Hotchkiss and, and you see the, the the ninth green of their golf course their nine hole golf course and it's like <laughs> there's like a, a probably a, a 200 foot drop off to to the from the tee box to the green it's it's pretty scenic. <laughs> Just, a little different than the uh, Sheridan Parkway that's across the street from Fannie Lou Hamer. Yeah, and the bus depot's down the street too. <laughs> right, right. Uh, let me let me pass it over to Coach L. Green from Beacam High School. Thanks, Coach, again for being here with us. Um, five years ago today, you have one of the biggest victories. Your first 20 win versus Baylor. Double M leads you with a career high 31. Can you bring us through that prep to play Baylor? I know you probably heard this question, but just for coaches out there preparing for big games in the NCAA tournament and the nerves and everything impact the way your team plays. Can you just tell us, lead us, how did you do it? Yeah, well, so so that was, I, I love that question, first of all. Um, I did the scout for that game. So that's like the pride and joy of like my career thus far. And uh, that was the last year that we didn't have an Ivy League tournament. And so what that means is that we had an extra week to prepare. Because now we take, you know, the, our regular season would end and we were regular season champs. And we would basically have a week and a half. And we, we would basically figure out what our seed is going to be within, you know, one or two. And then look at all the opponents that were, you know, so if we thought we were going to be 11 or 12 or a 13, we would also look at all the fours, fives, and sixes and say, okay, these are our potential opponents. And we were, we would start reviewing them right away. And so we got to do a little bit of prep on Baylor prior. Uh, and then you figure out who you're going to play. And so you've already got some background on them, you know, as opposed to the way it is now where, you know, we play our championship game on Sunday and then selection Sunday is that night, you know? And so uh, it, it's really like, like a scramble to try to get ready because then you practice the next day and you got to watch all that film and figure out what you're, what you're doing. So um, we had the advantage of, you know, having all that extra time and trying to get your team prepared. And, and with that, you get to work on yourself as well and kind of address some issues uh, during that, that, that week leading up to selection Sunday. But in watching, you know, a lot of film uh, of Baylor, you know, for them in particular, they had the matchup zone, which a lot of teams are playing now. And theirs was kind of like the, one of the blueprints for how teams do it now. And they don't even play it that much anymore, probably because of our game. But one of the things, one of the things that I personally noticed watching the film of Baylor was that, you know, they would play the matchup zone. And if you proved you could score against it. So within their league, like against opponents, certain opponents in their league could score against it. And if you proved you could score against it, they would get out of it like at around the 10 minute mark. And their man-to-man -man defense wasn't that good because they didn't, they only played it like, you know, probably 40% of the time. Because if, if you couldn't score against the matchup zone, they would stay in it. And, that, you know, they won 20, I think they were like 22 and 10 or something, something around there. Uh, so they played quite, quite a bit of uh, possessions of matchup zone. And so the whole thing was like, we had skilled players. We had good shooters. We were very effective against the zone. 
you know, that year uh, in, in our last regular season game, Columbia really tried to test us. Um, and that was the game where, where we, we clinched. And they played zone the entire second half of the game. Uh, and we knew that might have been the case. Uh, but we had, you know, we basically had to pull out all the stops of our zone offense. You know, it's really hard to play against a team that's going to play you 20 minutes of zone, like a full half. You know, if they're going to play a full game, it gets even harder. And so, uh, you know, we were prepared to run our zone offenses, have our quick hitters, uh, as well as, you know, how to run our man offense against the zone. You know, so concentrate on slips, getting to that middle area where it was open, catching it on two feet. If the defense collapsed, looking for kickouts. And if they sort of fanned out and guard shooters, uh, attacking the rim. And so, you know, we worked on that stuff all week. Um, a lot of player movement, a lot of, uh, of uh, ball movement, you know, to sort of keep the defense moving. Um, and, you know, we get into the game. And we were pretty effective against the zone early on. You know, part of it is was Makai got loose in transition a few times. And so that always helps. But, you know, when the game's just going so quickly as a coach, you're not thinking, oh, well, they're not scoring against our matchup zone. They're scoring in transition. Sometimes it's like, well, they're just scoring against us. So, you know, uh, around the 10-minute mark, um, they got out of their zone and then it was a TV timeout. And we came to the bench and everybody got in the huddle and it was like, uh, we got, we got them. Cause what happened, uh, I skipped the part. So in the scouting report, it was like, Hey, look at, this is how they play. They're going to play their matchup zone. If we're effective against it, 10 minute mark, they're getting out. And if they get out of their zone, we got them. All right. So, so we, I, I, we were able to kind of feed our guys that, that storyline. And it, it actually happened that way in the game. And so when we went to that timeout and we, and like, we got them in the huddle and we we're like, guys, they're playing man to man. We got these dudes. And it just kind of like energized our group. Um, or, or maybe it didn't, maybe it was just, you know, uh, the, the night of the Bulldogs. But um, I, I think like having, having that story uh, and, and feeding the confidence of the players was definitely helpful, at least in my mind. Um, and that's basically the way it went down. Uh, it, it was awesome. You know, the, the other part about that game was just like on the backboards. You know, I think, you know, both of, both of our teams were top five in the country in rebounding. And that was one of the ways they were able to beat teams was they, they would just beat you up on the glass. Like they had the guy um, that was going to be drafted in the NFL as a tight end. But we were also top five in the country on the glass as well. And so... Uh, we were able to neutralize them on the glass, which was a big part of how they scored. And, um, you know, that, that, that was, that, that took a lot of their offense away and basically allowed us to kind of build up a little bit of a lead and gave us a cushion to, and ride it, ride it to the end. That, that's great. And, and you guys uh, push a lot of teams to the limits in, in the tournament. I mean, uh, LSU just uh, right in 2019, you came up just a little yeah. short, but you really pushed them to the limits. Um, you brought up the, the Ivy League tournament, and I want to I get your thoughts on it. Um, because for many years, the, the tournament was the season, you know, as you said. You know, um, every, every, you know, you have your Friday, Saturday, back-to-backs, and at the end of the, the, end of the season, whoever's number one has the automatic bid, and now, they, now you pull in the four-team tournament. Um, 
which was a big change for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people were opposed to it. Um, what, what's your feeling on it? Uh, I, you know, I, to be honest with you, based on what I was saying before about having that extra time to prepare, I have mixed feelings about it, but I, I like being like everybody else, right? We have, we have the excitement of a conference tournament. You know, we play on ESPN. I think it's ESPN two on Sunday afternoon at noon, you know? So like, it's like us and the big 10, you watch, you, you know, you, you watch the big 10 championship on ESPN. You watch the Ivy league championship on, on ESPN too. So, you know, that's a big time stage for our league. Uh, the, the whole experience of the tournament is awesome. You know, you have the top four teams in the league, you know, in, a, in one city that, you know, it's been at Penn and Philly. It's been at Yale and New Haven. It was supposed to be at Harvard last year. Um, and it's just a really exciting weekend. Um, and so, you know, I love it. It's really exciting. It gives, you know, uh, it gives th those top four teams all a chance to compete. You know, there hasn't been a scenario where the, the odds on favorite lost yet. You know, once that happens, you know, th then it's going to be like, well, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what you don't want, you know, especially if you're that team. But um, I think it's great. It's really exciting. Um, and the guys love it. Get, get to play on ESPN, too. It's pretty cool. That's great. Thank you. Mark Skelton, you're up again. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of like a, a marathon, Matt. I mean, so I, I, this is probably the hottest uh, podcast in New York City that nobody has heard about yet. Um, it's growing. And, um, <laughs> thanks, thanks. But I also – no, but it is in the sense like, you know, Ben is – you know, he, we really uh, – I think we're attracting a lot of coaches here, to, you know, and, and I think the listeners – um are probably a hundred percent coaches and so what everybody's kind of looking for is you know you know i love the scouting report and you know so for i guess the next question would be for us is like halftime any game what are the numbers right and then post game and then throughout the season what what are kind of the numbers and and you know if and it can be you know ken palm stats or even you know, if you guys have four factors or five factors, what are you guys looking for? Um, the offenses and defensively, what are, what are some of those magic numbers? Um, you know, you're looking at all of it and, and seeing what jumps out at you. You know, and it varies if you think you're the better team or if you think you're not the better team and you need, you need to find your advantage. And so if you're, if you're the better team, I think you're, you're kind of playing your game and, and you, you're going to just make everything really hard on them. You know, we want to, you know, if we're playing somebody who we think we're better than, um, you know, we're just going to play them straight up and we're not going to give them anything. Um, you know, we're not going to go under screens and give them a chance to shoot behind because then you're opening up the door. You're just going to really make them work for everything. Um, if you're, you know, if you're looking for your advantage, uh, some of the things that stand out to me, um, and, and even in we, how we prepare offensively against other teams, is like I look at assist rate. Uh, so that tells me, hey, um, we got to stay at home on the perimeter. You know, let let's try to guard this guy one one on one. Give give as little help as possible, and stay home on the perimeter because they're a really high assist team. 
and they shoot a lot of threes. Um, you know, and, and, and to look at that against us, it's like, okay, this team doesn't allow you to assist at all. All right. So this team is not going to allow us to assist. They're going to, they're going to stay home on all shooters. So, you know, we got to be able to get to the basket, score one-on-one, um, and have that mentality because we're a very high assist team. You know, we've been number one in our league in assists for six straight years. And in 2019, we were eighth in the country in assists. And in 2020, we were uh, top 25 in assists. I think we were 20th. So we're a really high assist team. So when teams stay home on the perimeter and the stats show that they don't allow their opponents to assist, we have to make an adjustment in how we want to play. And so we're still going to try to assist and break them down, but we have to, you know, we try to get our guys to understand that it's going to be hard. All right. And so uh, we've been preaching, you, Hey, look for your teammate, make the extra pass, all that kind of stuff. And that, and then it's like, Oh, look at like, get to the rim, <laughs> get to the rim. Maybe, maybe somebody helps late and we can crash the boards if it doesn't go in. And so um, th- those are a couple things that I pay attention to, you know, f- uh, free throw rate as well. Um, you know, this team, uh, they shoot a lot of free throws compared to field, field, uh, field goals, you know. So on Ken Palm, they do like, you know, free throws versus field goals is, uh, you know, their stat. And so it's like a big part of their offense is getting to the line. So we have to play foul free. Now, we try to not foul anyway. Um, that's kind of, kind of like how we play. But, um, you know, you, you got to take extra caution in that if, if a team really gets to the line well. You know, we talk about, um, you know, not, not just playing without fouling, but show the referees that you're guarding with good technique, you know? And so, like, let them see that, that you're being very technical with how you're guarding, you know, hands straight up and, and, and you know, give that little pose after uh, the shot just so they can see it. Because sometimes, you know, they make the call after the shot goes up. They just see the aftermath or, um, you know, if, if you're not disciplined with that, um, they give the shooter the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so that's something that stands out, you know, as well as the flip side as well, just like with the assist, you know, this team fouls a lot or this team doesn't foul. Um, you know, so, so this is how we're going to have to expect to score our points. Um, you know, if those numbers stay true. Uh, so it's kind of like a a little bit between the lines. Those are like the, a little bit more of the more obscure Ken Palm stats, but we look at Ken Palm, you know, a ton. Do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great site for 1999. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to sell it here or anything, but you know, it, it, I'm sure it just helps. You know, you know, all uh, you know, you guys. So you know, obviously on the high school level, um, you know, that's. I think you just gave us something to actually look back on. Like, let's if we examine teams or when we're scouting, like uh, it's a there is a little gem there saying, well, this this team does follow a lot. Um, you know, and, you know, but also on the, on the flip side too, it's like, you know, we're all trying not to foul, but we can always do a better job of teaching, you know, techniques. Yeah. And, and that, you know, some of the, some, some, some teams foul a ton. And, and, and if you're really good at that, if you foul a ton and you're, you foul the same way consistently all the time, you usually, you're usually pretty effective that way too, because the referees are going to, sort of start giving you the benefit of the doubt on those, some of those calls. And maybe, maybe they call like a third of them, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if you're lucky playing that team, the referees call half of them, 
But if that's the case, like they're getting away with a lot. It's kind of how their team's constructed. And, uh, you, could, you know, some, some of that stuff will become, you know, that's kind of like merging the numbers with what you're seeing on tape now, right? It's like, all right, um, every time they get in the lane, that's a foul, but they're doing a good job of, you know, trying to indicate to the referees that it's not a foul. Mm-hmm. And so you got to kind of merge the, the, uh, the metrics and, and, and what you're seeing on film and, you know, uh, make a determination and communicate it to your team. You know, and video sessions become important because you could show it to your guys. Hey, like, like this is what they do. And that's a foul, but they do it all the time. The referees call 50% of them. So you got to be ready for this. You know, so that's part of your film session with your guys is kind of explaining all that stuff in detail. And then we, we had a player, he was a small guy, an opponent, and um, he was, you know, maybe 5'2", but he was the best offensive rebounder in the city. And he would just get to that spot and and he'd just get the ball. And and trying to explain that to the guys, was like, and as soon as you box them up, he'd be on the ground. And since he's a small guy, he would always get the call. Um, I mean, he kind of hacked basketball. Like he really was this like, you know, but it was a wizard in that sense. But um, yeah, always trying to, teach our players, you know, what to expect. Um, and obviously with basketball, it's kind of unexpected sometimes. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Th- thank you for that. Um, I think Mark had said you, you gave us all, uh, I think food for thought in a different way to think about things. Um, Elle Green. So I, um, in one of your coaching clinics, you talked about adding value to the dummy offense and um, you guys score a lot of threes. You have a lot of assists. Um, how, because that's something I feel like I, I need more value. My team is offensive minded, but we also attack on defense. But I feel sometimes when we're running our dummy, oh, I'm not doing a good of job that I should be because like uh, the point value or something like that to help it, th- them stay more engaged more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so th- this is like my, 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 my baby the dummy offense. Cause like the way our practices are constructed, I'll, I'll take, you know, our, our top eight guys and, and, you know, we'll do 10, 10 minutes, at least 10 to 15 minutes every day, a dummy offense. And so um, it, it was a, it was an evolution for me to try to figure out how to get more value out of it. Because I, you know, at a certain point earlier in my career, it was just like going through the plays and, you know, guys are like flipping it to the next guy to finish the, the possession off. And like, that's not worthwhile. And so um, over time, I developed basically a philosophy on it. And it was like, all right, in our offense, you know, because we run a motion and there's some continuity to it. And so, that, you know, there, there are certain things that happen consistently all the time in our offense. And so I was like, all right, you know, we use a side ball screen. The other post guys on the weak side block often and he ducks in. And so we come off the ball screen and we can kind of feed that put that 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 duck in for, for a quick tight post up layup. And so that's one of the ways we score. You know, we have that common two man action uh, when the ball gets reversed where that guy foul and extended cuts. And then we replace that spot from the corner, pass it and follow it a ball screen. And so that's kind of like a common action that you see with like ball screen continuities, but that first back cut, that's a back door, right? And so that's a scoring option too. So we got the duck in, we got we, we we have what I call the triangle side back door. Those things happen once or twice, just about every half court possession we have. 
we run side ball screens and what, one of the things we try to do is uh, if they hard hedge, get it to the roller right away. If they flat hedge, engage um, the hedger so, so that he plays you and then get it to your roll man. And then we're assuming that the, the weak side help is going to step up and, we, and, and the roll man can skip it. So we call that a roll skip. So I'm going to give you those three uh, consistent offensive actions of how we score. And we have several others, but those things happen all the time in our half-court possessions. And so it, when we do dummy offense, I'll tell the guys, all right, let's go uh, motion. So let's run our ball screen motion. I want three ball reversals and let's finish with a roll skip. And so now, now they got to really think they got to run a longer possession and then they have to score in a way that I know is an effective way for us to score. So I'm kind of like reinforcing how, how they need to think about how we're going to score. And then it's like, all right, let's run our motion or, 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 or let, let me, uh, let me add an element here now. Let's just say you're playing a team who's going to downside ball screens, right? So they're going to ice them. Let's run our motion. Every side ball screen we, we use is being iced. So we, we, we have a specific plan against ice uh, defense. So, so let's run our motion. I want three ball reversals. Uh, every ball screen, we, we run our ice offense. And then let's score um, – with a triangle side back door. So one of those other ways that we score. And so now our guys are, they have to think we're running our offense. Uh, we're preparing against a team that's going to ice us and we're scoring in a way that, you know, we feel like is a way that we should be able to generate, you know, a few points from every game. Um, and then, you know, the other one would be uh, the roll, uh, the duck in, you know, so let's run our, let's run our motion or, or, or actually uh, I'll add another element. Let's run, uh, let's run this post-up play, and let's just say, uh, you know, they double and we kick it out. Let's run this post-up play. We'll go inside out. So now we're in our motion, uh, and, and, and let's come off the first ball screen and, and hit our other post guy on the duck end. So you come up with these scenarios that you've seen by watching your team play, right? And, and, and then you, you tell, you tell your team, this, this is the scenario. And so, you know, you got to write it down. You got to be prepared in practice, which, um, you know, as coaches, we're all trying to do that. Um, but that's kind of how, you know, I, I started to go about dummy offense and you can just see the, the, the benefit, you know, as your guys get used to it. And, and it's a lot, you know, they'll screw up and it's like, all right, Hey, let's try it again. But you can go, you know, if, if you run a lot of sets, and then you, and then you have like a, then you want, you know, then you set a side ball screen after the set, you know, is exhausted and, and it doesn't work. Well, let's, let's, let's run this set to motion and finish with a roll skip. Let's run this set to motion and uh, finish with uh you know, come off the ball screen, turn a corner and finish at the rim. Let's run this set to motion, get in the lane, penetrate and kick, you know, like off ball cutting is huge now. So it's like, Let's run this set to motion, come off the ball screen, and let's cut off the corner. Um, and so it, it, it's a little bit of work to come up with those scenarios, but you're sort of reinforcing the actions that you think are effective. Because otherwise what happens is, you know, well, the guard came off the ball screen and he wasn't ready to hit the duck in. He was looking at something else. And then the next time you run it, 
the guard came off the ball screen. He was looking at the duck-in, but the duck-in guy, you know, got lazy or wasn't thinking. He didn't do it. You know, and so you want, it, you want your team to be past that where, where the things that are important to your offense happen every single time. I hope that answered your question. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. No, that, that was great. And um, I, I feel like um, – I, I, I've been I've been doing that, and I'm and I'm certain that that Mark and L have been have been doing that, like giving them, you know, um, I think it makes them think, makes them cognitively think about what they're what they're doing. Um, I don't know if you found this. Maybe this just might be because we're at the high school level, so we have a little bit, you know, more of like an immature player. But when you tell them, all right, I want you to get to the third side. They come off that first ball screen, not like they would or you'd want them to. You're coming off the ball screen to score. You know, you're getting to that to that elbow. They're they're coming off the ball screen going veering towards half court because they know that you want them to pass the ball. And so, you know, it, it, I guess it's just getting them in that mindset of like we're still playing it as, as we need to but these are the actions that we want to see before the ball is going in. Yeah. And, and, you know. and so like when certain things happen, so if you're asking them to do three side, three ball screens or three ball reversals and whatever, whatever you're doing, certain things are going to occur, especially with a younger group that, you know, they have to work, they would have to work through to get to the point where you want them to get. And so you got to let them know, Hey, like there's no defense out here. And so I need you to try to work through this and get to where I'm, I'm asking you to get to, because this is where we get in games where everyone just starts standing around and nobody knows what's going on. And so imagine what's going to happen in a game when there's defense out there, there's going to be things that occur that are going to stunt what, what we're doing and, and frustrate us. We got to be able to work through those things. You know, I remember uh, running, you know, our motion, it, it was, it was, we have a version of our, of our ball screen motion that's more free. It's like less continuity. And so I remember that, uh, we started to have, you know, we have two posts, both of them can set ball screens. And, you know, the whole thing was like, hey, uh, post, post players, you guys have to hunt the ball screen, right? And so then all of a sudden the ball would get reversed and both posts would go set the ball screen. And they, would, they, they stood and looked and they were like, um, what do we do there? And it's like, no, that's great. Let's figure out a plan for when that happens. If you guys both come to set a ball screen from the same angle, well, let's have the first guy roll and the second guy pop. And if it happens naturally, we'll just play through it that way. If you guys come to set a ball screen simultaneously from opposite sides, let's just play it where if the guard uses one, that guy rolls and the other guy pops. So now we have a plan for when that happens every time. And so, you know, um, those types of things will come up. And that's the thing is like, it not only makes your players think, but it makes you think. And, that, and that's my whole thing about dummy offense is not only should it challenge your players, but it, it should challenge you as a coach. Oh, that's great. That's great. One of the things you did mention when you're going through that was, was your ice offense. Would you mind... Uh... Walking us through a little bit yeah, of that. Yeah, so we have two. We have two. Um, two things that we do. Uh, right now, like our primary ice offense is, we just refuse because that's where they're forcing you, and we tell them one dribble. 
because if you take two dribbles, you kind of get caught too far down there. Sometimes you get trapped. Um, you know, our guys can't resist trying to drive baseline and you're essentially, you know, it just leads to bad stuff. So it's one hard dribble on the refuse and then kick it back to the post guy. And then what's going to happen most likely is that next defender over is going to stunt your postman. So we refuse, we hit our post guy who's spotting up and then we cut that next guy over because his man's stunting. And then, and then the, the next guy over slides up. And so the post guy has the option on the kickback to either shoot it if, 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 he, if he can zing it uh, or he's looking for the cutter or the skip. And, and, then, and then if we don't have anything off the skip, he just sprints and ball screens on the other side. And if you actually get to that second ball screen, the, the ice defense is dead because they were so loaded up on, on, on that first side, uh, which you have to be if you're going to ice. And so uh, that's, our, that's our first one. And that's if, uh, that's if, our, if, our, if our other post player is high. If our other post player is low, then on the kickback, we'll have him duck in. And so then we're looking post-to-post -post pass on the kickback. So we kind of have two options in that first offense. And then the second one of the ice offense, which we'll dictate to our guys if we want to do this, is we refuse, we hit, and then we come and get the handoff. So it's kind of like just a two-man game. Right. That's awesome. Thank you. Mark, got um, another one? Well, Matt, you kind of like the, the Zen master of, of, of offense. So uh, do you mind if we pick your brain about zone offense then? Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, take us back to that, that Columbia game or, you know, any game where, you know, maybe, um, I mean, I, I love trying to tackle, um, you know, the odd front zones. I feel like, you know, we, we see a lot of those uh, in the city, you know, trapping, non-trapping. Um, I don't know how much you guys see of odd front zones, but um, what's, what, how do you attack it? And what's, you know, I guess the philosophy behind it. Well, I would imagine most odd front zones are, are have less players on the baseline, right? Right. Because you're either got you either got three guys up top, or you're in a one-two-two, two, and and then you know you, you still only have two guys on the baseline. Um, but no matter what, if it's a two-three or if it's a three-two, uh, my whole thing is get the ball to the baseline. Um, you know, a lot of teams want to get the ball to the short to the. Uh, a lot of teams want to get the ball to the high post. And I think that's great, but that's secondary to the short corner. If you can get the ball to the short corner, that's the spot. That triggers offense. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, if you take like some basic zone offenses, which we run, you know, like posts Xing uh, in the paint and you're reversing it uh, with a baseline runner, or if you're four out, um, and you're, you're just kind of flashing into the high post. Um, and to me, I have done a clinic. On, I, I feel, I feel silly cause I've done a click clinic on this and I don't want to just re reiterate the clinic, but, um, there's a clinic online. Um, I can send it to you. Okay. I, I, I don't know if it's online, uh, but I can send it to you, but basically like those, those two offenses right there are great complements to each other because you have a two scenarios. You have where the post players flashing to the high post from, from the block in the first scenario, or you have where the perimeter players flashing to the high post from the three point line. 
So that's different and that's, you know, obscure and, but it's different enough that it's hard for the defense to catch up on if you're kind of mix, mixing and matching those two offenses. But the, the great thing for your team is uh, it's going to take the same skills and, and looks for, for your players to, to, to look at. So in both of those offenses, you get the ball to the short corner, you have your diver from that foul line area and the skip over the top for three. Uh, you know, if, if, no matter which one you're, you're, you're running. And so um, it's the same skills that you're practicing, but it's hard for the defense to pick up on. So kind of like how the, the, Jet, the new Jets head coach was trying to say, we want to have schemes that uh, are, are hard for the opponent to understand, but easy for our guys to understand. That's what you get. Um, like a like a team like I know Merrimack College is you know obviously taking the zone offense zone defense and because they know that every team's zone offense is very similar so what they've you know what they've done is just kind of taken those x cuts away and and try to get the you know they know teams love the third diagonal um so they're kind of giving the zone a different look, but um, no, but things stay the same. And I think you're absolutely right. Get the ball to the short corner and good things will happen. Well, and, and like I was saying before, uh, what, what's tough about Merrimack is that they're going to play it for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so now you need enough zone offense to, to play them for 40 minutes because you're not going to score off the same things all day. And so, you know, like the hope is like, hey, this team's going to play zone. Let's run this. If we bang a couple threes, they're out of it, right? And so, like a lot of a lot of times, what you see is like ten possessions of zone max from from opponents. But they're going to play forty minutes, and so you'll need those zone offenses. You'll need your set of quick hitters, you know, to get threes. Um, you know, to 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 get like tight tight uh, opportunities at the basket. Um, where, you know, little duck-ins where, you, you know, you sneak the other post guy underneath those type of plays, lo- you know, lob plays if you have that kind of athleticism. Um, and the three-point looks that you can generate, you know, maybe the ball screen with the pass-pass where you beat the bump in the zone, all that kind of stuff. But, you, you know, you, you also need to basically, like, go through your, your man offense and show your team how that's going to work against the zone because it's going to be totally different options. And so the dummy offense comes into play when it comes to that. Uh, and then basically like set, you know, setting your, 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 your scout team or your, your JV team up in a zone and, and letting your team see how it works live, but, but making them score the way you want them to score, not, not just letting them take the shots they want to sh- shoot, because that's not going to help you against another var- good varsity team that's playing zone. You need to score the way I want you to score because otherwise we're going to play the game and it's not going to work. Um, and so, you know, obviously the slips, um, you know, I think middle post-ups are good. You know, it's hard to get the ball into the post and everybody, you know, typically wants to enter the ball into the post from the wing. But like, to me, that's almost useless against the zone. If you want the post-up, it's great if you want to just get the ball to the short corner. Uh, so we will use the post-up, you know, it's kind of like the same thing as the short corner because you could post up and just, you could even just dribble off. You know, using that dribble to drag defenders in the zone and make them leave their area is a pretty useful uh, tool too. But the, if you have a good post player, the middle post feed, like, like when the ball is reversed from the wing to the top of the key and you have a player in the paint, have him shift from that back forward onto the five man and just like sit right on top of them. 
uh, I think that's a great way to get some, some, uh, some post-up offense against the zone. Um, yeah, and just, you know, offensive rebound is, is, is the last thing that you, you really need to get your team to embrace when you're playing, a, you know, a team that's going to play 40 minutes of zone. Sorry, that was a ramble. No, it wasn't. No, it was perfect. No, this. No, that was yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. No, this is. I mean, some some people say that this whole podcast is one big ramble, but uh, <laughs> perfect. Oh, that's twice. Do Do you ever throw a second cutter down there? Like you get that ball into the short corner, that high post will cut down, and then that strong side wing cuts through. Um, we We haven't really done second cutters except when it happens sort of organically. You know, the great thing, like, we, we work on certain cuts. You know, if we're doing zone, we're diving that man from the foul line. If we happen to have nobody at the foul line, we want that top top of the key player to dive and sacrifice himself uh, or potentially get a layup. Um, but, you know, we also work on the baseline cut, which I mentioned before uh, with Coach Green as far as, like, coming off the ball screen. And so um, when you work on those cuts and we, you know, we put them into dummy offense as well. Like that's another thing I didn't mention. Um, that's some of the ways we try to score and, you know, kids are reluctant to make those cuts. They want to just stand in the perimeter and shoot the three. And so that's one of the ways I'll tell them. It's like, Hey, uh, let's refuse the side ball screen. And we want to score off that 45 cut on the weak side, you know, or, or, uh, you know, come off the ball screen, come in middle, and we want to make that baseline cut. Um, you know, both of those cuts are, like, really popular in the NBA, and, you know, everybody's tweeting these videos about them. Um, so, but when, when you practice those cuts, and now all of a sudden uh, you're playing against teams and you have your, your basic cut in, in the zone, for instance, like we're talking about, the players are used to making those cuts. So you, you, you'll get the guy cutting from the corner just because he sniffed out an opportunity. Um, and so, like I said, we, we only get the second cutters, uh, if it happens organically. Gotcha. Thank you. And, and, um, I think that question was a little loaded coach green who plays in odd man front zone. You know, I think that was, uh, he's trying to get some tips on how to, how to, how to beat you the next time, but you're up L. <laughs> no, um, you guys actually helped me with Mark with his two cutters. Uh, the first year we played against each other, that's who kind of killed me. And the year he won against me, that was uh, it. I, um, my question is about transition. Um, so initially, I would run it up the sideline and get a lot of points. Um, and then Mark, I mean, you can, I know we scout each other. I used to run the sideline mm -hmm. drill and attack, attack, attack. But with the players I've had recently, I'm unable to do that because of the I mean, I guess I would say IQ because they're not knowing, like, get your ass against the uh, sideline. So I started running the double drag screen. Um, right, I want to say an inch or two below half court, depending on the size of the gym. My issue is when I played at, in college, we used to do a, a, a cross, right? We used to cross over, touch the baseline, cross over. Now they're just sitting, like you said, in that corner and they're waiting and like the the guy on the dribble side, he's not like going back door and the other guy's not lifting. So what concepts, like, how do you get your guys to go in transition? If, I don't know what, what transition you guys use, but like I'm doing double drag because I usually have a quick guard and bigs that can set good screens and roll a pop. Yeah. Um, 
we don't use that. We don't, we don't do a double drag in transition. I think it's a lot of congestion. And, and, and to me, like in transition, you have space already naturally just because people are scrambling and, and, um, and, and not, nothing against it. Like I would love to see some of the options that you get uh, because I'm always interested in like diversifying our offense. Um, but when you set a double drag, do you, do you roll one and pop one? Yeah. Um, um, I set a, uh, um, uh, Jesus, it escapes me right now. Uh, it's not a down screener. I'm sorry. I'm lost right now. <laughs> That's uh, <okay>. well, <laughs> you, you think about it. My, my thought is this, what, what I like, um, you know, going forward is the double throwback. And so if you have a shooter in the corner, and you're rolling and popping one of those posts, you can come off the ball screen and throw it back to the post and then, and then make the quick reversal to the, to the next guy. That's what you see a lot of teams doing now is that double throwback. You know, it's more on middle ball screens, but you can do it any way you want. Um, the other, so I, I just think that, that that's, you know, it's twice the rotation for the defense. You know, people, people try to use a ball screen and then throw it back and try, try to basically generate that three, right? Because that man was helping on the roll or, or play off that closeout. But if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you tell your players, look it, we want to get to the double throwback. Number one, that's a little bit deep, different for defenses to pick up on because they're probably uh, guarding the ball screen and then thinking they're going to play that single throwback pass. But if you, if you just like say, hey, we're not even trying to get anything off that single throwback. Let's just get to the double throwback. Well, down the road, something's going to open up on the single throwback, right? Because now they're saying, all right, if you guys are looking at tape, you know, at, at any kind of level close to what we are, it's like they, they throw it back. They make two passes off the ball screen quick. And so they'll start playing that. And now you might start to get options off the single throwback. But I like the double throwback to create offense. Uh, I also think coming off that ball screen, if that's the case in the opposite corner, that should be, the, that should be a lone man in the opposite corner. And so you can get that baseline cut. So you come off the ball screen and if his man's creeping up to try to crowd the, the paint, so your guard can't turn the corner, that's, that's that baseline cut. Um, you know, I, I, I look at Jimmy Butler as the, the guy who, who kind of uh, uh, made basically kill, killed that cut and, and made it famous. But um, so I, I like that option, too. And uh, the other thing is, you, is if you could move that transition ball screen to the middle. Now what teams are doing is is, is on that double throwback. So getting back to the double throwback, they're rotating those two throwback players and, and it, it might be a little bit different with the double ball screen because one of those players set the first ball screen. But if, if you rotate those guys all the way over to the top of the key and wing, as opposed to like, you know, more in the corner and in the wing, it really distorts the help that they have at the basket. Um, and so that, that's what I see a lot of teams doing too is, is, now, if the throwback guy, if the first throwback guy is not on the wing, 
but he, 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 he shifts all the way up to the top of the key. So you need the point guard to kind of drag it out far, farther down, down the side, uh, to, you know, in the other direction. But if the throwback man rotates all the way up to the top of the key and then that next guy follows him, uh, you know, 15 feet away, it kind of distorts that low help that they can provide on the ball screen. And so you'll get like some of those late uh, feeds to the postman on the roll. Um, and again, so, some of this stuff doesn't translate to the high school level. It, it, it's very diverse. It, it, it's a lot of stuff. So it's just, it's just more options to think about. Th those are some of the things that I like for us. So that's why, that's why I bring them up. Thank you. Um, so the opposite side is a pin down where the, the post is pinning down for that guard to loop around. Um, we're trying to get the point guard action at the free throw line jump shot or that, that other post coming back around to the slot. But thank you. I, I'm going to check that out. Do some yeah. When I double that. Yeah. The double throwback. I think it's the new thing. <laughs> I, I think you're right. So I have, I have one last question for you. Yeah. If, if you have time sure. and it's, it's more or less like the Ivy League is so competitive. I, I don't think many people realize how competitive the the Ivy League is, and it's rich in tradition. You, you know, with with Princeton and Penn, and even Harvard breaking the mold with bringing um, athletes in. What's what's made Yale like? Um, how does Yale differentiate themselves from everybody else? You know, we're not, we're not trying to differentiate ourselves. Um, we're just doing what we do. Uh, you know, we try to recruit the best players that we can. Um, you know, we typically, you know, try, try to be athletic. Uh, you know, we're, we're definitely willing to take somebody raw and, and bring them in and work with them and build up their skill level. You know, being a ball screen oriented offensive team, uh, allows us to concentrate on a specific skill that we can build up and help build their IQ around that. Because if you play ball screens, you know, you learn about how defenses rotate and that allows you to read the defenses, you know, as, a, as opposed to if you're, if you're running set plays, I don't think that helps you understand how defenses rotate, um, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in the larger sense. You may know how they rotate for that play, but it doesn't, it doesn't help you understand how, how teams build their defense in, in a larger sense. Um, and so, you know, we just recruit the best players that we can. We try to develop them, you know, ar around our system and, uh, and build culture. Co you know, Coach Jones is great at, at you know, uh, fostering camaraderie. Uh, our guys are a very close-knit team. I mean, exemplified by... Uh, those guys, those guys, you know, most of them could have had, you know, an extra year eligibility to play somewhere else, but they all wanted to use all their eligibility at Yale. You know, that, that, that makes my heart hurt that, that they love the program so much. Like, I think somebody tweeted something that all the teams in the Ivy league, like we had like 27 transfers. It was like one of the most of any league. And, um, you know, Yale has one of those 27. And so, um, the guys just really enjoy playing for us. And, and that's been something that's built, you know, over time. And, uh, you know, I just think 
we're also trying to evolve too. keep, keep our guys engaged. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, we, we don't get stagnant. Um, you know, we do things, you know, slight, you know, we tweak things year to year, whether it's defensively, offensively, uh, try to stay on top of current trends. And that's really interesting to our guys. So they don't get bored. You know, they feel like they're, they're constantly learning. I think that's important. If you feel like your guys are out there getting bored, um, that's, that's probably something that you need to look at, you know, uh, yourself, because that's your responsibility as a coach to keep them engaged. That was great. Thank you. And uh, Coach Matt Kingsley, thank you so much for your time tonight and being here at the roundtable with us. No problem at all. This was fun. Like I said, I mean, we didn't have a season and uh, I've done a lot of Zooms, but it's not a lot of like, you know, just talking basketball with other coaches, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot of recruiting and, you know, giving tours and selling our program. And, and that's fun in its own way. But uh, it's always good to talk basketball with other coaches. So I, I appreciate you guys thinking of me. Well, yeah, Matt, we, we also didn't have a season either. Uh, New York City, you know, um, was you know, also closed down. So <clears throat> we are sharing the pain. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like, this is one of the ways that I've tried to, you know, continue to learn and, and just stay engaged is, is I want to do as many, as many podcasts as I can. I, I've tried to do a bunch of clinics over this time and, and really just like call friends and, you know, even coaches that, you know, I only know like a little bit and just, you know, maybe pick their brain a little bit. Uh, I've gotten on zoom with some colleagues and, and just like shared ideas and got the whiteboard out and just brainstormed things. And that, that's, that's, you know, in, in some ways it's, it's as much as you can do right now. So um, I've tried to do as much as that as I, as I can. Well, we'll have you back on if you want to be back on. This has been great. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BCRPodcast11.